Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Monax. So glad to be back with you here on Megaphone, on Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeart, however you get this show, however you get the 3 and D podcast, however you get the core for any GBB podcast on our network. Thank you for joining us here again on the flagship station or show of GBB Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Again, I'm Joe Mullinex, the site manager over at Grizzly Bear Blues. And Parker Fleming is my co-host, and I'm going to bring him in here on this. I'm in a heated battle right now. You're, is it, you're, you're blowing out Jack Noonan. I'm on to you, Parker. You tried to skew this thing so it would be you and your buddy, Brandon Abraham, that would be in the finals for the GBB bracket. But I'm putting up a good fight. I'm fighting more than I had to or than I wanted to, but I'm putting up a good fight. Anyway, I realized today, Parker, that, that I am the undertaker of Grizzlies blogging uh, because I'm watching the Last Ride documentary on the WWE Network, and it's about the undertaker, the professional wrestler, not able to retire. And he's just continually looking for something that he's never going to be able to find. And he's this old man now who goes out and is worried about making a parody of himself. And that's pretty much me in a nutshell. And I feel that way, especially as I go against Brandon Abraham, who was probably 16 when I started writing over at grizzlybearblues.com. Well, if you're the undertaker, what does that make me? <sighs> like if a Seth Rollins, maybe? Yeah, you're definitely Seth Rollins. That's actually a good pull. I think that's 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 pretty good. You're you're a you're a, a GBB Messiah type Seth Rollins. You're not burn it wow. down cool Seth Rollins. Yeah, you're the you're the heel of this situation. <laughs> I'm just playing. I don't mean that. Uh, whatever uh, you are, it's an extremely important part of GBB, and I appreciate Parker being with us on this abbreviated show, a shorter version of the podcast. Ways to get in touch. With the show, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. You can follow Parker Fleming, who uh, is definitely going to, or not definitely, more than likely, Jack Noonan has a strong Celtics presence that maybe he hasn't unleashed yet. Uh, But more than likely, Parker will be in the finals of the GBB bracket on our Twitter challenge. Follow Parker at Paca underscore Flocka. You can follow the blog that we write for and work at grizzlybearblues.com at SBN Grizzlies. And of course, you can follow our podcast, GBB Live, at GBB Live. Uh, the gentleman that's our guest on this week's show is a longtime friend of GBB, a former GBBer himself, one of the very best writers out there. He has a Patreon page that, if you don't subscribe to it, you most certainly should. He's done all sorts of good content, even in this era where it's hard to find the energy and the effort to put forth this type of work on a not necessarily a daily basis, but even if you're putting out something every week, that's kind of impressive at this point. Uh, that may not be this way much longer, but Matt Hardlicka is somebody who certainly has been worth reading during this NBA uh, pause, I guess. NBA, you know, freeze, however you want to describe it. Matt Hardlicka at the real H-R-D-L-I-C-K-A is our guest on this week's show. Matt, how are you, my friend? You know, you spoke of energy and effort, and I'm not going to lie. That whole wrestling analogy you just did. Like it went totally over my head, but I, I respect the energy and effort you put into it because you kind of, I feel like if I did understand wrestling, you would have blown my mind. I, I feel, it was really well thought out, I think. Well, first off, I'm a gigantic wrestling nerd. If you guys didn't know that about me, I my literally my first memory as a kid is about wrestling uh, when I was three years old and I'm 33 now. So my 30 years ago, I remember playing with wrestling figures and watching wrestling on television. So uh, I've I've watched wrestling almost as long as I've been alive. I've liked nothing outside of my family 
uh, longer than I've liked pro wrestling. And The Undertaker has essentially been around that long, too, <laughs> as sad as it sounds. <laughs> uh, he, he debuted in 1991 uh, at a pay-per-view, the Survivor Series. And I'll never forget that because he choked Hulk Hogan. And that was crazy to my four-year-old mind. Um, but anyway, I digress. The, the point of all of this, Matt, is we're looking for things to talk about at this stage. Uh, <laughs> GBB being an SB Nation blog about the Memphis Grizzlies is hard enough as it is, if I'm being honest, because we're in the smallest market in the NBA. And while I think most folks agree that our fan base is pretty strong and obviously the Grizzlies have been a lot of fun to follow, you know, aside from, you know, two years recently, for the past decade, Memphis has kind of been a... Uh, a loved team of NBA Twitter and, you know, the league pass darling, all that stuff without the NBA plus being in a small market like Memphis, it's been really difficult. And I Parker and I have talked about this to try to find concepts to write about or ideas to get into, especially when you don't know if the season's going to resume. We started our NBA draft profiles, but obviously we have no idea when that draft is going to be held. So when you sit down and you do your work, you do a lot of stuff with the cap, You've done a great job kind of breaking down. I remember one of your posts, you know, kind of like the trade value articles that Bill Simmons used to do uh, in a grisly sense. So when you think about for writing for your page, Matt, especially during these tough times, what are you really interested in uh, from an NBA perspective as it looks like they're starting the push to resume play? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've like you uh, just feeling just putting out that content right now you know whatever uh and really for me it was like there were a couple like projects i had kind of earmarked for like hey you know the off season is kind of a wasteland to like put these out in the off season so i did a couple of that but you know it sounds like we're going to have some stuff to talk about pretty soon there's been a lot of you know um noise around you know how the format that's going to come back and the timing and um i don't know about you guys but i'm kind of getting hyped I'm getting hyped too. And I'll let Parker kind of chime in after this, but I want to get your take on this, Matt, because I, you know, I, I've said it on the podcast. I've said it on Twitter, everywhere that I can say it. I respect Matt a very good deal in, in terms of how intelligent he is, how he approaches writing. He contemplates and analyzes things in ways that I never could. And those are the folks that I really enjoy reading and being around because they teach me and I get better from learning and reading and doing uh, the things that they say to do in the in their work. So I give Matt that compliment, and I say that while giving him essentially a loaded gun to answer this next question with. <laughs> this entire thing to me, Matt, has become so politicized, and I think it's a, uh, an it's an indication of our our overall existence at this point. So I'm not asking you a political question as much as I am from the perspective of one of your articles that you wrote recently about the cap ramifications of this. I saw you and Bobby mm -hmm. Marks on Twitter mm -hmm. had an interaction about this as well. You know, the, the balancing act to me, everything is so extreme. You know, if you want to go back to work, you're a monster. If you want to stay at home and not get sick, you're a coward. To me, I've always looked at this as kind of like the supply and demand chart, except it's ec economics versus, you know, risk. And you're looking at the curve and you're trying to find where your intersection point is, where that sweet spot is uh, in terms of how you're going to get back to as close to something normal as you can. So to me, it's always been shades of gray. And I thought that you kind of led into that. You didn't say that really in your post, but you did kind of lay out the economic ramifications if there was no season, if everything collapsed. Yeah. You know, yeah. this return to play, of course, I think these people understand that there's a risk involved, but 
there's also a lot of money and the opportunity, not just for the big time players like Damian Lillard, who's caught a lot of crap in recent days, but the, the veteran minimum guys who this is the last NBA contract they're ever going to have. You know, there's yeah. all sorts of levels to this that you have to decide what that risk is worth to you and what's worth it to Damian Lillard may not or may be worth it more to Jerry Dudley. Yeah, I I think, you know, yeah, setting politics aside and all that, you know, they I, I sort of agree with you that it is a shade of gray question. I mean, the whole thing is whether you you want think the players are taking an adverse risk or if you think, oh, you know, just get on with it and play the games, there is a risk. I mean, everybody sort of, I think everybody pretty much agrees on that. Um, you know, you get people in a group and the risk is higher than if you were just being by yourself. Um, my, my personal opinion is that, you know, setting aside what the perfect solution or you know state of the union would be we're not imperfect right now you know it's it, we we a hundred thousand people are set to die in like three months that's not perfect and everybody's kind of got to figure out how to live their life and the, the and that's what the nba and the players are doing they're trying to say listen this is our livelihood uh how are we going to make this happen this is the money that we're set to lose and you know i i I do think that, and this was kind of my point with Bobby, um, who I think he obviously knows way more about the cap than I do. I, I, I was making sort of a moral point that's saying, you know, the players are bearing, bearing essentially all the health risk. And I thought that they, you know, I think it's reasonable to, to say, hey, they deserve a little bit more money for this. You know, the other the flip side of that coin is if they don't come back, they get zero, you know, or they get, they get, they bear, you know, their stake in the loss. But you know, for the people on one side that are saying, oh, you know, you're a monster if you want to go back to work. I mean, there's a lot of people who, you know, the threat of having zero money coming into your bank account is a lot more real than, you know, especially for young and healthy people. Like, I'll take that risk. I, I don't begrudge anybody that sentiment. You know, you, everybody's got to make a living. That's that's the society we live in. So, um the 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 losses would be massive um it would be completely unsustainable the there would be um bobby went further than i did because uh, i was just looking at like what happens if the cap and the luxury tax go down like 15 million which would that translates into like a 900 million dollar shortfall he was looking at like a two billion dollar shortfall which would put essentially like 90 percent of the league in the tax <laughs> if that whole, you know, piece of the pie came out of next year's cap, that's unsustainable. And they've got to, they would figure, they, that would never happen. They would figure something out. They would figure out other methods. Um, but that's, those are the stakes, you know, if they don't play something. And I think it's clear now that they're going to figure something out. Um, and then, uh, you know, the rest is just a balancing act, balancing safety with the money. Parker, I want to get you in on this, too. And I think Matt made a really good point there, again, kind of reiterating the balancing the safety with the money. And it's easy to say, and I'll just use my personal experience. You don't have to, Parker. But, you know, my money hasn't been touched yet. You know what I mean? I haven't been put in a place, and I'm just a teacher, so it's not like I have a bunch of money anyway. But nobody has come and taken away my livelihood yet. So it's easy for me to sit in my house and watch my four-year-old and my almost two-year-old 
and, and play daddy daycare. That's easy for me because I don't have, you know, it, it's privilege in a lot of ways. And that's been something that's been debated too. But I have that privilege, whereas other people that are barbers, that are bartenders, that are restaurant workers, or on the flip side of that, people that are working essential jobs that aren't able to make that choice. You know, I'm in a privileged spot. So it's easy to look at an NBA millionaire. And like I was just saying with Matt, the baseball players are dealing with this right now too. You know, you make all this money, go play, but you don't know the health risk. You don't know the long-term ramifications of this. Nobody knows. And that uncertainty, as Matt talked about in his column, to me, I agree with Matt, should probably allow the players to come out to the table and say, hey, we should have a larger piece of this pie because of this. That likely won't happen. And we're seeing that with baseball right now. And the NBA is in the middle of their season, which is drastically different than starting it if you're Major League Baseball. But Parker, I'm curious as to your perspective, because you're younger uh, than me and Matt. What do you see? And again, I don't. we don't have to get into the politics of it. But just in terms of when you look at an NBA player and they're getting prepared to resume this season while they're in essentially the most unique situation that any of us have ever experienced, there hasn't been a pandemic like this in a century, how do you kind of put all that together and then focus, even if you're young, even if you're John Morant or Jaron Jackson Jr. to bring this back to the Grizzlies, how can you put all that aside and then all of a sudden say, okay, now I have to go play LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the Los Angeles Lakers possibly? Uh, one thing I like to give a shout out to for the NBA as opposed to the MLB, like you said, with baseball, like it's all about their livelihood. They're putting their lives at risk, and that's why they're like, "Hey, let's get a bigger piece of the pie." It's great to see that the NBA. You haven't seen a lot of that yet. They're all like in and really just wanting to finish out the season. I think it's different with baseball because their season hasn't started yet. Right. But I'm really liking how. Everybody's just all in. There's no selfish motive to it. They just want to go all in, finish out the season, get to the playoffs, and crown a champion. That's great. I think it's one of those things, too, with basketball. Granted, we've heard some cautionary tales where you have people that don't have accessible basketball hoops at their house. But, I mean, from what it looks like, you have that. You have that luxury to where some people – like we've seen with like John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr., their little workout videos that went viral on Instagram recently. They're still able to work out a little bit and do basketball-type workouts at their house. And also, too, just lifting weights and just staying in shape, eating right. I mean, we're going to hear a bunch of stuff about some people who have gotten out of shape. I mean, I'm really pointing at Nikola Jokic and Zion Williamson there, but it's just like a – a year long thing. You just always got to stay ready because if this pandemic's taught us anything, it's whatever we think is more than likely wrong. So whether it's, Oh, they may cancel the season. That was talk probably about two or three weeks ago. And now like there's legitimate noise about a bubble happening within the next month. I, I think it's just one of those always stay ready kind of things. You have to stay ready. That way you don't have to get ready. But at the same time, this is such an unprecedented situation. I don't envy anybody that's in a decision-making role. On a much smaller scale, I am in that spot as a head football coach for my day job. I'm about to be responsible again for the safety, literally the health of you know 80 plus teenagers. It's a tough spot to be in. So whether you're a principal or anything on a localized government scale, obviously the governors in all of these states, uh, state government, local or national government, 
you know, anybody that's in a spot that has to make a call on this, it's it's tough. It's really hard. And I think we lose that empathy a little bit as a society. But before we go down that rabbit hole a little too deep uh, and before we move on to the grizzly centric portion of the podcast, Matt, I want to get your take on this. Everybody has an opinion on how it should restart in the name of safety. Just bringing in the top 16 teams and having the playoffs makes a lot of sense. That's not necessarily fair to the Damian Lillards of the world and the Zion Williamson's and the teams that, in fairness to them, would have had an opportunity to improve their standing in the playoff hunt if the season hadn't been paused the way that it had. And I know that you're a big Champions League guy, or at least a big soccer Premier League, that kind of thing. I I know you're a big fan of the the Tottenham Hotspur, I believe. Uh, I know that because that is my uh, team as well that I adopted for a year and then stopped paying paying attention. Please, I, I. I tried. I really did. Uh, I was a team teacher with the head soccer coach uh, at my last spot, and he challenged me to try to get into soccer. And I really did try. Uh, I, it, <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Um, you are more familiar with the group stage stuff. And, you know, obviously the the top two teams in a group can advance. And that structure you're more familiar with than me. So what do you think would be the fairest way? Not the way that you would do it, because I'm guessing the way you would do it is probably similar to the way that Parker and I would do it. And that's the way that gets the Memphis Grizzlies in the playoffs right now. That, that's what I would do, because <laughs> I run a Memphis Grizzlies blog, and we talked about content about 15 minutes ago. Daddy needs some content, all right? How would you think, if you were Adam Silver, is the fairest way to do this? Oh, wow, the world is on fire, and you have to keep that health and safety ma- aspect at the forefront of everything you do. Yeah, I think as far as fairness goes, they're, they're going to have to do probably the fairest thing just because they have to get whatever, whatever they decide, they're going to have to get two-thirds of the league to approve it. So it's going to be, by, by definition, helping most of the people. So that probably means Memphis is going to get screwed. But you know what? If there is one thing that the Memphis Grizzly fan base and Memphis in general is is here for, it is it is we got screwed. So just know that that the we got screwed tweets will happen, like regardless of what of what system they choose. Um, but I do think the the I had not even considered really a pool play type situation. I think. If you split up the top ranked teams and you took, they're talking about taking 20 teams, um, probably just to to call that it happens to be two thirds of the league. I don't know. Maybe maybe those are the votes you need. Who who is to say uh, why 20 was the magic number they picked? But let's just say it's 20, splitting it into five groups of four or four groups of five. Um, you could you could very easily get um, you know round robin tournaments. Um, the interesting thing with that, uh, depending on the, the formats and everything, a lot of the group play in this comes into play in the first league, first round of the Champions League, and then the first round of the World Cup. A lot of the back end of the fixtures tend to be kind of boring because the group had. Do you you will find at least one of these groups, if not two, are already decided, and everybody knows the outcome, and you're going to get a lot of like. The meaningless. Everybody's saying these games will, all these games will matter. They won't all matter. Some of the groups will be decided before the pool play is ended. Um, but still, it's it's something to talk about. And the first couple games back are going to be amazing. Like um, I do think one thing we haven't talked about is um, this is this format would essentially go right into the playoffs because you're kind of deciding 
this this would kind of be looked at, I think, as like a playoffs extended scenario. Whoever has to play first, those first games, or even maybe just the first round of games in general, like for all the teams, the the the, the, the quality of play will be lower. So I don't know if they're going to do some kind of, even if they did scrimmages, like I don't think, I think we would be looking at something between regular season play and preseason play for those first couple of games, um, especially if, like, you know, one of the big play. I mean, the the, the a, a huge risk is going to be like what what soccer is going through right now is a lot of players are picking up muscle injuries because they they have been sitting for a while and now they have to sprint. Um, not all of us are still in our twenties, like like Parker is. <laughs> right. No, so, I can relate you know, to that for sure. As I train yeah, for a five k, I'm, I'm sore every day. Yeah, me too. I, I I'm not training for a five k, but I do uh, jog and. <laughs> It's not, it's not great. But um, anyway, like, it, you know, like, let's just say Milwaukee loses Giannis to like some kind of hamstring injury or something like the quality of those games is going to go way down. And that's, that's a risk that each team kind of is going to bear equally. And, you know, is that fair to sort of leap right into the playoffs when, you know, your, your fate could be decided by a tweaked hamstring that, you know, has you, done a regular season ish like five game primer and then you know because even if five games like what do the Grizzlies have like a three game lead I haven't even checked the standings I, I can't even remember but losing that lead in five games would be pretty tough like I, I think that maybe a fairer solution might be to do five preseason games just just to eliminate the chance the heightened chance of, of injury risk to like the very best teams. Um, I don't know. It, it, somebody's going to get screwed and, and <laughs> you know, I don't know what is fair. It, it, we'll, we'll look back at any scenario that they pick and, and somebody will have a, a fair claim to saying like, this wasn't the best way to do it. Um, that's just what 2020 is like, I guess. I don't know. We have never been more – well, that's not true. There's been plenty of things in history that have divided us much more violently. But in terms of ideology, I feel like this is one of the most dividing times in the history of not just our country but our world. We can all agree on this. 2020 sucks. It is just awful, yes. and it needs to end as soon as possible. Thankfully, it's flown by because of all of this hell that we're going through, and it's almost halfway done. So maybe there's more murder hornets and terrible disasters ahead of us, but we're almost halfway down. It's all downhill from here once we hit June. Uh, we'll be right back with Parker Fleming and Matt Hardlicka. We'll be talking about DeAnthony Melton, Dylan Brooks, and triggering Parker Fleming on the next segment here. Stick with us. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax, joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming, at Paca underscore Flocka on Twitter, and our guest this episode, Mr. Matt Hardlicka. He has an awesome Patreon, a Patreon page excuse me, that you should be subscribed to if you have not already done so. Follow him on Twitter at the real H-R-D-L-I-C-K-A. And then, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Molinax if you so choose. Okay, so I've been hyping this for a while, and it was kind of driven by an article that I found. I believe it was Peachtree Hoops uh, over at SB Nation's Atlanta Hawks blog. They do a good job over there. I'm a fan of the team sites for SB Nation. Vox is, you know, without getting fired, not the best. But SB Nation's team sites are pretty solid, and they have a lot of good content. So I try to read as much as I can when I can. There is an article that I think it was 4,000 words about the Anthony Melton. 
And at first point, I try to keep this a family friendly show, but holy shit, like 4,000 words on the Anthony Melton. That was really impressive to me. And, th- and I'm someone that can write a lot of words. And from there, after reading it, he really, really respects. And this is a guy who, again, Atlanta blogger, Melton comes from Phoenix to Memphis. So he had to do a lot of research to have this informative an opinion of what he thinks Melton is worth. He estimated an offer sheet in terms of effectiveness for what he thinks Melton is worth at about four years, $50 million. And Matt, that took me aback. I like the Anthony Melton. Don't get me wrong. I think he's really good, was the star of that trade with Phoenix. I could see them matching a, a pretty hefty deal. But almost $13 million? You're a big fan of the Anthony Melton, too. Do you think, A, that's a realistic offer that someone might make, and B, that it's one that Memphis could actually match? I kind of, I'm kind of with you, Joe. I'm kind of a taken aback. I don't know if I want to read 4,000 words, but I'm, I'm – I'm starting to think that maybe I should if, if this is I want to I want to know this author's um, uh, reasoning why he thinks Anthony Melton is work. It might be. So here's the thing. That that is an overpay for Anthony Melton. And if it regardless of when I don't know if this author is fully understanding where the cap might be next year. Atlanta, regardless, is going to have plenty of room. So he may just be looking at this like we can we have to overpay to get him because he's restricted. Um, if I was the Grizzlies, I wouldn't match that. Uh, I mean, I might. I don't know. Depends on what else they have to do, um, what else they plan to do, because that would that would get them pretty close to the luxury tax if they wanted to bring back Josh Jackson or use their mid-level. I don't know. I, pro- I probably would. I'd probably try to do the the, the thing they did with um, Delon Wright and. Uh, you know, do a sign and trade where say, well, you know, submit the offer sheet and, you know, like we'll probably match. You might want to kick us over a couple second round picks or something. But, you know, that does speak to DeAnthony Melton is is good. And the Grizzlies, he he more – John Morant was the star of the season, but DeAnthony Melton really was, in my opinion, was the guy who turned the season around because they didn't have any guards that could defend. Like, they, and then all of a sudden they just started playing him, and they had a guy who was competent on both offense and defense, and could play and kind of solidified the second unit. and And the bench, the bench for the Grizzlies was essentially why they won games. And then they would bring Ja in at the end, and they would like never lose leads. Um, so I, I that's an overpay. I don't I don't know if you guys want to get into like what your thoughts are on that, but. I don't. I don't know what I would do with that. And I really like DeAnthony Melton. I think he's good. I think. I think that is a lot of money to pay DeAnthony Melton, though. The tippy top of my range is probably around ten or eleven million dollars. I do think that he holds hmm. a lot of value. And one of the main points that this author made, and I wish I had it in front of me. I should. Again, Peachtree Hoop. Shout out to them. It was a really well done article. Uh, he spent a lot of words. But he essentially talked about a lot about what Connor Dunning and other folks, you know, of the younger uh, end of Grizz Twitter, like has uh, been discussed through our Twitter bracket. Um, people see him as that Swiss Army knife. He can do a little bit of everything. Yeah. He can facilitate. He can handle. He's not the best shooter right now, which obviously in the modern NBA limits his value to an extent. But he does a little bit of everything else really well. And he also plays larger than he is both in terms of his understanding of scheme passing lanes the ability to play man on defense you know he does a little bit of everything 
pretty well. But if you pay him $50 million over four years, Parker, that means that he's making Dylan Brooks money, which is where I wanted to trigger you. And that leads me to the GBB Live question of the day. For those of you that don't know, Parker Fleming, we talk about a lot of words, wrote a six-part series over the summer about how Dylan Brooks is the perfect role player for the Memphis Grizzlies. Lo and behold, Memphis acquires DeAnthony Melton, and I think that that title may be in challenge. The question of the day, which player is most important to the Grizzlies moving forward? I put Grayson Allen and John Conchar on there just so uh, people like Parker could vote for Grayson Allen, the John Conchar uh, fan account, and John Conchar himself could vote for John Conchar. I figured it would come down to (laughs) Anthony Melton and Dylan Brooks. And that's exactly what it was. I didn't think it would be this close. Shout out to the 160 folks that voted in the poll. The Anthony Melton, 47%. Dylan Brooks, 46%. Almost a completely even split. Melton ekes it out by one percentage point. I know that you think it's Dylan, Parker. I'm curious as to your perspective on the debate because Melton has gone from someone who Phoenix, for whatever reason, was willing to throw away. That that Suns trade was terrible to me, uh, and it was a miracle that Memphis got what they did thanks to Phoenix. I guess it accomplished what they wanted, and in fairness, Javon Carter has done some good things for the Suns, but Melton has really shined, and the fact this is even a debate is interesting, but if you have to pay DeAnthony Melton, excuse me, more than you pay Dylan Brooks. If you put roughly $25 million into those two players, is that good use of the salary cap moving forward, considering you have max contracts, and Matt has talked about this on his Patreon page, you have money right now, it ain't going to last forever because you're going to have to max Jaron and you're going to have to max Jaw, and you're probably going to have to pay Brandon Clark a pretty hefty sum to keep him too. I agree with all that. And before I go on about my... Dylan Brooks fandom, I will say two things. One, shout out to the ones that actually did vote for Grayson Allen and John Conchar. <laughs> Y'all are real fans there. <laughs> and um, secondly, I think Joe would – I would be waking up to about five text messages from Joe if I ever wrote 4,000 words essentially about a young bench player. If you're really going to do it, <laughs> split it up in six parts like I did. That's the way to do it there. <laughs> but – um. I've been I there. Did, but, yeah. <laughs> yes, Matt has but, been there, as have I. We've all been there. If you've written long enough about the Memphis Grizzlies and you do it pretty well, you've been there. I'm, I voted Dylan Brooks more in the ballpark that you're already invested in him, in a sense, because you gave him that three-year, $33 million extension back in February. Now, if this was one of those things where the extension never happened and you were looking at both being free agents this summer, that's where I might try to go towards a little pause because Dylan has more of that skill set that draws a little bit of an overpay. Like I kind of consider him in the same ballpark as Tim Hardaway Jr. as like a guy that you don't necessarily like. He can kind of be like a fringe starter or uh, six man off the bench. Nonetheless, he's a rotation player when it gets down to eight man rotations in the playoffs. So that was more of my thing with Dylan is that he, you're already invested in him. Whereas DeAnthony Melton, there's just a lot of uncertainty when it comes to his next contract. I mean, one thing I always point back to when it comes to this debate is we're coming off three years ago where everybody thought that Jermichael Green was going to get paid. We thought I saw people saying four years, 70 million for Jermichael Green and the salary cap shrunk because Golden State destroyed everybody in the playoffs. 
and we're in a pandemic right now and that and we've talked about it earlier in the podcast i'm not the numbers guy here but the cap's gonna look different even if there's any smoothing you still got to be wise with your money you have a pretty decent amount of money over the next two or three years tied up to Jonas Valanciunas, Tyus Jones, Dylan Brooks, Justice Winslow, and Kyle Anderson. Granted, I think Kyle Anderson out of all of them is more likely to be moved. That's still a hefty number of decently large contact contracts around the rookie contracts of Jaron Jackson, John Morant, and Brandon Clark. And I just don't know if anything above or at the mid-level exception is a wise investment. I mean, personally, this is a conversation for another day. I would love to do what Philly did a few years back with J.J. Redick and do a one-year overpay for a very good starter-caliber veteran to have around your young guys while they're on their rookie contracts. Something to look forward to in like 2021 or 2022. So do you really want to hurt that flexibility and have $25 million tied into two guys where – you're not absolutely sure if they're going to be in the starting lineup. If the Grizzlies ever reach a championship caliber level, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I, and I, let go me ahead, jump Matt. in here, Joe. Yeah, because I co-sign everything Parker just said. And, and the way I would say it, as opposed to like, uh, you can take the question a bunch of different ways, but it, Dylan, uh, Parker saying that Dylan has the skill set that gets an overpay, I, I would 100% agree with. And, I would even take it one step further. Dylan has a skill set that might bring back a first round pick in a trade. Whereas D'Anthony Melton, like in, in a hypothetical sign in trade where, where Atlanta was trying to get him, you're not getting a first round pick from them. You're not getting like anything of real value. You're just trying to extract something, you know, so that they so that you don't have to lose D'Anthony for free. I would say that, Dylan, the the next great, like really good Grizzlies team that maybe like makes the second round of the playoffs, I would be really surprised if Dylan was playing the exact same role that he was he is playing this year. Whereas I would not be shocked if Melton was playing the same role he was playing. So Melton's value isn't as high as, as Dylan's, but Melton might have more to say about the future of the Grizzlies like actually playing on the team than Dylan does, because I just don't think, I don't think that the role Dylan plays as like sort of the secondary creator, like they have to get a better player than, than Dylan. Dylan is, is a good, like Parker said, you know, he can play in the top eight um, of a, of a playoff rotation, but being that secondary, Hey, shot clock's wind down. Jaw doesn't have anything. Kick it to Dylan that guy needs to be a little bit better, like a little bit more efficient. And maybe Dylan will get there. I, but I, I would, I would, you know, gun to my head. I, I voted for Dylan, but I could see, you know, you take, you take a slightly different cast on the question and I could see voting for D'Anthony. Everything that you just said that connects to his value in terms of contract, maybe the reason that you pay or Dylan a little bit more than you would pay Melton. I think you can apply that same logic to a trade. So I'll get you out of here on this, Matt. And Parker, I'll ask you the same question. If the offer is Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks, and two first-round picks. Hold on, hold on. What are we doing here? Don't worry about the money. Let's pretend that I'm trying to say, what do you think is the best caliber of player? Say Memphis unloaded their clip if they got 
if they put the Jazz pick in it, the Warriors pick, they take Dylan Brooks, they take Brandon Clark, take money out of it because understand that that would be part of the trade. What type of caliber player are you getting for that type of a package? It doesn't even have to be necessarily a name. It could be like a tier. Are you getting somebody that's can, that can be that third man next to Jaw and Jaron for that type of package? Somebody that's like a, you know, I don't want to even say Buddy Heald because I feel like that should be like, it should be better than Buddy Heald, like a Jalen Brown. Boston would make that trade, but I mean, that kind of player. Bradley Beal is the guy that's the holy grail. Does two first round picks, Dylan Brooks and Brandon Clark, get you Bradley Beal? Parker, you got any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I do. Joe knows. I've kind of had small discussions with Joe here, and I, I honestly think with you know Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks, and two first-round picks, it could get you Bradley Beal or Devin Booker. Yeah, but Devin I Booker think, would be another one. I think Washington and Phoenix will try to squeeze out every little ounce of any team looking to get Bradley Beal or Devin Booker because they are the only semblance of hope for either of those franchises. For the Grizzlies, that might mean also adding in Justice Winslow to that. So two first-round picks, two starters, and then one guy that you project to be your cornerstone. That might be a lot. And I would honestly be happy if they still took it, but I would still be cautiously optimistic about it, whether it is Booker or Beal. Uh, I, I had the sentiment where I'd rather just kind of go NFL style, similar to the Luca and Trey deal and just see if you can hoard those assets to move up for a prospect you really like, whether that actually fits long-term with Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morant, and Brandon Clark, whether that's a Jalen Green or a Kay Cunningham or a BJ Boston. I'd rather do something like that than, well, because also what you're doing too is you're taking in another max contract that also hinders yeah. your flexibility. What do you I, think, I have another one. I have another one to throw. Phoenix is not trading Devin Booker until they absolutely, absolutely have to. I would agree. Washington is Washington, but I'm I'm kind of taking that out and saying like, what is the value? Like, what is a fair value for these right. players? I have one for you. If Giannis leaves, Chris Middleton would be a really good fit for this team. Like, if you were to throw in Dylan, Chris Middleton is way better than Dylan, uh, and Brandon Clark you know, get them a young player and then one or two first round picks, like just getting off that salary, you know, it, it, it would really help Milwaukee a lot. Um, that would be, so, so I don't think it's unreasonable that a Chris Middleton, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker type, like you could probably get somebody better than that, to be honest with you. Like that's, that's a lot. That is a lot, especially at some point, I wrote this at one time, but like if you're going to trade that Golden State pick, this offseason isn't the time to do it and next offseason isn't the time to do it, but that pick is in 2024 and there will be a time between now and 2024 when that pick will look really good. And it might be all the way until the 2024 draft when suddenly the Warriors, but they, are, they will not be good this whole time. Uh, there will be a time when that pick, you, you could get a really good player for just that pick. Um, and and the whole balancing act that the front office has to do is the question that Parker just said, do I keep this and just take this young player? Because a, a, getting a blue chip player when John Jaron are on their second contracts is huge because like that player will be on a cheap 
cheaper contract and you'll be getting the benefit of having a blue chip player and you're extending your playoff window. Like, you know, that that's just a real, it's a really tough question. It's one we can't answer right now, but, but to get back to the original point, they could get an all-star or maybe even an all-NBA player with those, some, some type of, depending on the first round picks you threw in um, and those two players in, in my, in my opinion. You have to have a lot of faith in DeAnthony Melton if you make that kind of trade. You have to have a lot of faith in Justice yeah. Winslow. And for the record, I'm not sure. I think that I am closer to you and Parker than I am to the idea of trying to go get Bradley Beal. Because if they go get Bradley Beal and Bradley Beal's here for two years, does Bradley Beal get Memphis to the Western Conference Finals? Probably not, the way that the West has lined up these next couple of years. But if you hold on to that 2024 pick and you do exactly what you just said, Matt – and you have a blue chipper if that pick is that good, plus you have Jaron and Jaw on their second contracts, it, it adds to your talent level. And then as Parker alluded to, every year and over the next several years, they have multiple second round picks or multiple first round picks that they can do, in theory, every draft what they did in 2019 to get Brandon Clark in the first place. A guy falls for an unexplicable reason. You have somebody that you really like that you know you have to move up to get. It just allows for you to have that flexibility within the draft, which is where we've always said is where the Memphis Grizzlies are going to have to build this team if they want to win a championship. I think that after a year and a half of Zach Kleiman almost at this point in company, it's probably fair to say that's the most likely scenario. I don't see them swinging for the fence of a Kawhi Leonard right now. Could that happen in 2024, 2025, something like that? where they try to bring in a guy for a year and win a championship. They see that moment is now. And I know you're going to write about that, Parker, for the blog. I, I think that's possible in that middle point of this decade. Right now, I don't necessarily see it. Matt, we went over. I'm sure that stuns you. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. I appreciate you, buddy. And uh, as always, we'll have you back on down the road. Thank you, guys. Thank you once again to Matt Hardlicka. Does a great job on his Patreon page. We appreciate him jumping on the show, talking to Anthony Melton and the eventual return to play of the NBA with us. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at the real H R D L I C K A. If you don't already do so, make sure you're following my co-host Parker Fleming at Paca underscore Flaca, my associate editor and co-host. Like I said, I really do enjoy Parker's work. He deserves a follow and follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. And while you're at it, go over to at SBN Grizzlies, the GBB Twitter account and vote for me in our Twitter challenge. Parker is doing pretty well for himself. I could use a little bit more help. Brandon Abraham has a lot more friends than me, it would seem. He doesn't have a lot more content than me, uh, but he has a lot more friends. So it, it's a tight race, and, and all, all respect to Brandon. He does a great job covering the hustle for us, and it would be an honor to lose if I had to lose, but I don't want to lose. So if you could help me out, I'd really appreciate it. Go and vote over at SBN Grizzlies for your boy, Joe Molinax. So for Parker, for Matt, Thank you so much for listening. Wherever you're listening, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iHeart, rate, review, and subscribe to the GBB Podcast Network, headlined by GBB Live. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. We'll talk to you soon.